Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You guys need to check out June's journey. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the Roaring Twenties and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with some samples. You guys, allergies suck and it really sucks when my nose is all stuffed up. I can't do anything. I can't even enjoy dinner because I can't taste my food. I can't work out because I feel so tired and I'm out of it and just forget getting ahead on recording the show because I sound so stuffy. But luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've honestly been using Claritin D for my allergies forever and it's always been my go-to. I know when spring hits, I won't have to worry about my eyes watering like crazy and my nose running like a faucet. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. So I think I figured out why the intro sometimes weirds my brain out. Okay. Because sometimes I say, welcome back to the podcast, the podcast. And uh-huh. sometimes I say, welcome back to our podcast. Oh, I've never noticed that. So I think when I switch it up, my brain's like, it glitches. I can see that. So anyways, it still weirds me out every time I say it. Okay. Before we jump into Garrett's 10 seconds, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify or on podcast platform and are able to leave a review, a five-star review, please go do that now. And if you are watching on YouTube right now, Give this video a big thumbs up, a big fat thumbs up. Do it right now. We'll wait. Also, if you are listening on Apple, if you can please press the follow button and follow our show as well as the download button or automatic downloads, it helps us a ton. Algorithms have been changing and we need your help. You know, let's be real. It's it's not it's not fun to be like, hey, please do all this. But it really just supports the show and is a it's a it's a big help. You have no idea how big of a help it is. So thank you for thumbs upping, following, and reviewing. Okay. You have 10 seconds. We're about to head to New York, and I am pumped to try some bagels. We also did a something-something. Peyton hosted a little murder mystery dinner for FX. It was really fun. We went up to LA, and that's what we're doing in New York this weekend as well, besides eating a bunch of bagels. Yeah, I had like a blast. It was cool. I was like, give me a script. I didn't even have to memorize it. I could just read from my script. It was great. Give Peyton a script. She can do anything. I can read a script. And if you need someone to host your murder mystery dinner, I am your gal. Update on Daisy's training. It's going good. Going great, actually. She's been she's been doing really good. Night and day difference. 
um, as far as some other things that we wanted to nip in the butt or get taken care of. But she slowly but surely is getting used to other dogs. Um, I think it's going to take a second. She's just kind of a little scaredy cat, but that's okay. Scaredy pup. Little scaredy pup. That's what I got for you guys. We got bagels. We got murder mystery dinners. We got Train and Daisy. And honestly, I just can't stop thinking about all the bagels in New York that we're about to eat. And I really hope it lives up to the hype. I'm going to be so depressed if we go and then the bagels just aren't good. Yeah. Because everyone talks about how good New York bagels are. East Coast bagels in general. I'm going to have words. Yeah, if it does not taste any different than the bagels that I have on the West Coast, I'm going to be pretty upset. All right. Our sources for this episode are The Evil Within by Darren Galsworthy, The Guardian, BBC, ITV, The Sun, Cosmopolitan Magazine, The Mirror, CrimeAndInvestigation.co.uk, Wired.com, and Sky News. Okay. So sometimes telling the truth can be a difficult thing to do, particularly when you're a teenager and you feel like no one is going to believe you. Now, I'd like to think that when we have kids, they'll feel comfortable coming to us and telling us anything, especially if they feel like their lives are in danger. But what happens when the person they are afraid of is also living under your roof? Okay. When another person you love and trust is the monster your child is secretly afraid of. Would you believe your child enough to do something about it before it was too late? So today's case is taking us overseas to a little city in the southwest region of England called Bristol. Bristol was recently voted the UK's most livable city, several years in a row, in fact. And today it's become a hotspot for startups and tech companies, kind of like the UK's own little Silicon Valley. While over the last few decades, the city has attracted a lot of wealth and power, there's also been a growing divide between the wealthy and the working class. Becky Watts was born into one of these blue-collar Bristol families. So Becky's father, Darren Galsworth, was 29, working as a sheet metal engineer when he first laid eyes on the 22-year-old Tanya Watts. After chatting it up over a few beers at a local pub, things moved quickly for the couple, which blossomed into a relationship. They got an apartment and welcomed their first son, Danny, in February 1995. But the couple had their issues from the start. After Danny was born, they had a series of breakups and makeups that kind of became toxic. Eventually, Tanya left Darren to care for Danny alone, but one October night in 1997, she came knocking on his apartment door. The two had a few drinks and got back together, at least just for the night. And that evening, Tanya got pregnant with their second child. All right. A little girl named Becky. But the arrival of a new baby wasn't enough to keep the couple together. After Becky was born, the couple split custody of Becky and the now two-year-old Danny. Darren got the weekends while Tanya took the weekdays. Then one afternoon, while out with the children, Darren ran into an old crush of his, a woman that he'd always admired but had never dated named Angie. The two met up for some drinks shortly thereafter and sparks flew. Angie told Darren that she was on the rocks with her boyfriend and a few weeks later, she called him to say she had ended it. From that moment on, Angie and Darren were inseparable. But Darren had no idea how this relationship would completely upend his life. 
And Angie was a single parent herself. Her son, Nathan, was older than Darren's kids, about 12 years old, while Danny was just four and Becky was two. But ever since Angie's divorce, Nathan had been living with his grandmother during the week. This way, he could continue going to the same school and have a bit of stability in his life. So during the weekdays, Angie and Darren were on their own, free to water their growing romance. And even though they both had kids, they were kind of just taking this time for themselves. Uh Then on the weekends, the kids all came together to make one happy little blended family. Sort of. When Nathan, who's 12, met Danny, who's four, he was excited to have a little brother, introducing him to his PlayStation almost immediately. But when it came to Becky, the youngest, Nathan couldn't seem more disinterested in having this new little sister, which was probably a normal reaction for a preteen boy to have at first. But the dynamics of their blended home began to change in 2001. That September, Darren and Angie opened their door to find a social worker standing on their front porch. He told them that Becky and Danny had been taken from their mother, Tanya, and placed into child protective care. They didn't say much other than that they didn't think the kids were being properly cared for when they went to Tanya's house. I'm a little confused because it seems strange that CPS just randomly shows up and says, hey, we took the kids away. There's no calls. Like, where's the other protocol? Like, I feel like there's got to be something I'm missing here. Well, CPS didn't take the kids away from them. Yeah, from Tanya. They took the kids away from Tanya, and they don't go into much detail because they're not married. They just say they weren't properly cared for. Because he's the the father, though, so I feel like there's got to be something that is said to him. Definitely. I think there could be that in private they said something to him, but it wasn't published in sources. Does that make sense, the reason yeah. why? It just seems so abrupt. Right. You just go to the dad's house, and you're like, oh, we took the kids away. Yeah. So, Okay. Well, either way, Darren's like, okay, well, yeah, you can just bring them over here. I'll take my kids full time. Like they don't need to stay with CPS. Uh But apparently that's easier said than done, at least in the UK's system. Because according to the social worker, they had to do a full review of the case until they could grant Darren, the dad, full custody, even though he wasn't the parent who got the kids taken away. It's hard too, because there has to be... Right. It's it's a case. So there had to been other information and stuff that was going on that Darren probably didn't know about. Which, again, I guess to me seems a little strange considering he's a father. He does only have them on the weekends at this point, though. True. So this meant in the meantime, the kids would have to live in foster care, but they could still come visit on the weekends like they are used to. This led to a long and challenging series of court hearings, but in March 2002, Darren and Angie finally received full custody of Becky and Danny. Now, the 15-year-old Nathan was less than enthused to hear that the now five-year-old Becky would be coming to live with them full-time. He just hates his little stepsister, hates her. So strange. He told his mother he didn't want her there, that she was, quote, too loud and annoying, Mm. which... I mean, I could see that because... Sometimes pain's annoying, you know? This is when Angie reassured her son, this is just a phase. Becky would grow out of her tantrums. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's five years old. But even Darren had to admit, Becky wasn't the easiest child. She often threw screaming fits and had a hard time expressing her needs. By two years old, she still wasn't walking. 
And at five years old, she still hadn't said her first words. Okay. However, one night after Becky joined the family full-time, Darren took her to pick up Nathan from his grandma's house. While she sat in the back seat waiting for Nathan to come out, Becky uttered her first full word. Can you guess what it was? Yeah, I'm kind of scared. Nathan. Oh, okay. So her stepbrother's name. The family was, of course, over the moon to hear that Becky had finally started speaking. Nathan, on the other hand, couldn't care less that it was his name that was the first that she said. Darren and Angie just shook off Nathan's behavior. After all, he was just a teenage boy. Having a baby sister fawning over him wasn't necessarily cool for his age. Plus, the more time they spent together, the closer this family got. Even though Angie and Darren hadn't tied the knot, Becky saw Angie as her own mother. And since Nathan's father was completely absent from his life, Darren really stepped in to fit that role, strengthening their father-son bond and raising him as his own. But Nathan wasn't the easiest teenager to raise either. He didn't have very many friends in high school. His grades were average and most of the time was spent building and using computers. So when Nathan turned 14, Darren pitched him an idea. Why not go to the Army Cadets Boot Camp for a week? It would teach him self-discipline, boost his confidence, and could help him make a few friends. Plus, they'd let him practice with some of the military-grade guns. Okay. That was all Nathan had to hear. After that week, Nathan came back with a renewed sense of purpose. He began picking up his grades and had more self-confidence. Oh. He became hardworking, more dedicated, and eventually got accepted to the city of Bristol College to become an electrician. But over time, Darren noticed a few red flags about his stepson, Nathan. When it came to girls, Nathan expressed a lot of jealousy and insecurities around them. After breaking up with his first girlfriend, Nathan kept insisting that she owed him money and would sit outside of her house mm. to the point where the cops were eventually called on So him. we've fast forwarded a few years, correct? Yes. We're now in, well, at this point, one time in 2006. Okay. The 19-year-old Nathan pulled up to Darren and Angie's house with a car full of girls. He's 19. Except it wasn't just like a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds in his car. It was younger girls, no older than 12 or 13. Oh, yes. yeah, that's nope. Uh-uh, not, not okay. So when Darren spotted them, he was like, whoa, Holy son, crap. Nathan, take him home. Like, this is not okay. Nathan just laughed off the situation and drove off with them in the car. What? Yes. So after that, Darren and Angie didn't see him for several days. So not only did he drive off with the girls, he then disappeared for a couple of days. Meanwhile, Becky was dealing with her own set of problems. Becky proved to be incredibly shy around other kids and had difficulties making friends. She often complained that no one at school liked her and instead picked on her for small things like her looks or her weight. Over time, this manifested into bigger issues for Becky. She began eating less and less, telling her father that she wanted to lose weight so kids no longer bullied her at school. She became obsessed with exercising and then prone to fainting spells because of how little she was eating. At the same time, Nathan complained to Angie and Darren that she was just doing it for attention. So it's still Nathan doesn't like his little sister. Yeah. And on occasion, he was even the one perpetuating Becky's insecurities, telling her she was overweight. But enough was enough. Darren and Angie told Becky she didn't have a choice. They were taking her to a specialist. 
A doctor diagnosed Becky with anorexia and told her if she didn't follow the treatment plan and improve soon, they'd have to admit her to an inpatient facility. With the memories of foster care still fresh in her mind, Becky knew she didn't want to be away from her family again. She vowed to follow the program and attended counseling with Darren or Angie at least twice a week. And it was during one of these sessions that Becky said something critical. When asked whether she felt safe in her own home, she replied, quote, Yes, but only when my dad or Angie are there. I don't feel safe around Nathan. Okay. Now, Darren is confused by this statement because what he's seeing is just some typical sibling rivalry. Sure, Nathan can be a jerk to Becky, but as far as he can tell, he would never do anything to physically hurt her. So he kind of shrugs this off because... I mean, honestly, they have bigger issues to deal with, Becky's unwavering eating disorder. And a few weeks in, Becky still wasn't improving. When final threats were made to take her to the inpatient center, Becky finally turned her behaviors around. She slowly started putting the pounds back on and within eight months was back to a healthy weight. And she even celebrated with cake for her 13th birthday. And that's when things really started to turn around for Becky. She changed schools, started making new friends. She even got her first boyfriend, a blonde, blue-eyed gentleman that even Darren had a hard time disapproving of. And his name was Luke. Once you try Bombas, you'll never look at socks the same way again. They've obsessed over details like foot-hugging honeycomb arch support, anti-blister tabs, and cushion footbeds that feel like pillows for your feet. Let's not forget their super soft tees and tagless underwear. Bombas has a one purchased equals one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. Today, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. Bombas also offers a 100% happiness guarantee. So whether your socks disappear in the dryer or they become a snack for your dog, they will actually do anything possible to replace it or make it right. They've also got this new Merino wool blend socks that naturally wick moisture and help regulate temperatures perfect for that rainy or unpredictable spring weather. You guys, I love Bombas. I literally wear them all the time. I love that every purchase means a donation to someone in need. And it's not just their socks either. I also love their tees and underwear they're so soft they pay attention to details i just really really love bombas get comfy this spring and give back with bombas head over to bombas.com husband and use code husband for 20 percent off your first purchase that's b-o-m-b-a-s.com husband and use code husband at checkout when we started podcasting an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds but now we're selling murder with my husband merch and it's so easy because we use shopify and we really do we use shopify to sell our merch i've been using shopify for years so it is absolutely amazing easy to use so intuitive i love it shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business and it's great because they grow with you so whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said, 
and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash husband. But Becky wasn't the only one who'd found a new love interest in this family. In 2008, the 21-year-old Nathan also brought home a new partner. Her name was Shauna Hoare. Problem was, she was only 14 years old. No way, man. Like... 21. Holy crap. That's... That is never okay. So obviously, Dad Darren immediately disapproves of the situation. But at the end of the day, Nathan wasn't his son. All he could do was tell Nathan he wasn't bringing any underage girlfriends into his house. Dude, it's, I mean, that's illegal. Yeah. Like, what's going on is, no. Well, Nathan seemed to respect this because while he continued seeing Shauna for the next year, he didn't bring her over again until 2010, along with her birthday certificate that showed she had just turned 16, which is the age of consent in the UK. So he waits until the day that it's legal and then brings her over. But Darren and Angie eventually grew a soft spot for Shauna. She had a rough upbringing herself. Like Becky, she'd been taken into foster care away from her mother at a young age. When she turned 13, she'd finally moved back in with her mother, which was where she was still living at the time. So she's 16 and he's 22, 23 then? 22, yeah. Okay. And as the family spent more time with her, they found her to be polite and respectful, perhaps even a good fit for Nathan, despite the age gap. Yeah. But when it came to the 13-year-old Becky, just like Nathan, Shauna had a bit of an attitude towards her. Becky did what she could to try and befriend Shauna, offering her clothes and other things to win her over. But Shauna seemed indifferent and seemingly ungrateful at the gifts she was receiving from Becky. While things seemed to be going well between Shauna and Nathan, there were other challenges in his life that were holding him back. A few years prior... Nathan had been diagnosed with something called fibromyalgia, a chronic illness with no known cause that creates a lot of muscle pain, fatigue, and insomnia. Ever since dating Shauna, though, Nathan used his fibromyalgia as the reason for why he couldn't find a suitable job. She's like, Mm. 16-year-old girly, I know I'm 22, but I have this disease that makes it so I can't actually get a job. He'd also stopped shaving and showering as much, and he turned to Darren whenever he needed money. Oh, man. If I was Darren, I'd say, nope. Yeah. You're not getting anything. Maybe take a shower. Maybe go take a shower. Maybe we'll get a job, take a shower. Shave. Still don't think you should be dating a 16-year-old. Yeah. So then in 2011, the family was faced with another heartbreaking health issue. Angie, the mom woke up one morning and told Darren she couldn't see a thing. They rushed her to the hospital where doctors performed a series of tests, but they couldn't figure out what Angie was suffering from. They sent her home, and over the course of the next few days, her vision returned slowly, but it took another few months for it to return to normal. Nine months later, doctors still couldn't figure out the reason why. Until Darren finally took Angie to a specialist who diagnosed her with multiple sclerosis. As if Darren didn't have enough on his plate already, life just kept piling on for this family. Now he'd be providing for three children and a chronically ill wife. Yeah. 
Thankfully, a short time after, the family did receive a bit of hopeful news. Shauna and Nathan were going to have a baby together. Which, yes, hopeful news, but also... A little scary. Things are going to get, yeah, that's hard. So now Grandma Angie and Darren were thrilled to become grandparents, and Becky was just as excited to become an aunt. However, it seemed like Nathan's attitude towards Becky had only gotten worse with age. When she expressed that excitement, Nathan told her, you aren't going anywhere near our baby. What is what? What is going on? Well, of course, statements like this weren't out of the ordinary for Nathan to make towards Becky. He was reprimanded and everyone just seemed to move on from it. Why does he hate her so much? But once the child came, Darren was thrilled to see what a good father Nathan was. He seemed dedicated, always willing to help out with diapers, feeding, playtime. It gave Angie and Darren some hope that maybe Nathan's attitude towards others would change, that it would soften him and maybe even help him rebuild his relationship with his stepsister, Becky. And now that their family was growing, Angie and Darren decided to take an official step in their own marriage. They finally got married in August of 2013. Nathan was Darren's best man. Shauna and Becky were Angie's bridesmaids. But the newlywed bliss didn't last forever. After their wedding, Angie's condition deteriorated further. Mm. She was relegated to a wheelchair and needed the help of a caretaker while Darren was at work. They actually hired Shauna in 2014 to spend the days with Angie since it was difficult for her to find a job and childcare as a new mom. So basically with her mother-in-law. Yeah. While life was certainly challenging for the family, they were finding ways to get along and get by. However, things took a turn for the worst in 2015. On the night of February 18th, Becky went over to a friend's house to spend the night. The following morning, around 8.30 a.m., after Darren had gone to work, Becky knocked on her parents' front door. The key she had didn't seem to be working in the lock, and she apologized to Angie for having to get up and come let her in so early. Angie said Becky then went to her room and stayed there until Angie left for her doctor's appointment at 11 a.m. that morning. When she came home around 12.45 p.m., Shauna and Nathan were in the living room watching television. But Becky was no longer there. Angie just assumed Becky had gone back out to a friend's house. And Shauna said while they didn't see her, they did hear the door open and shut just before Angie came home. So they too had assumed that Becky had left. A few hours later, Becky's boyfriend, Luke, showed up at the house. He said he was worried. He had texted Becky a few times but hadn't gotten a response and that they had plans that day. It wasn't like her to just ghost him. Angie told him he could go check her room. Maybe she'd slipped back in without being noticed. So Luke does. But when he comes out, he says, guys, Becky's not there. So he leaves. And then that night, Shauna and Nathan stayed at the house until about 7 p.m. Then they went home to have dinner. Meanwhile, Darren and Angie just assumed Becky was out with friends. Darren called it an early night since he had to be up for work the next morning. But by the following day, February 20th, there was still no sign of Becky. Around 2.30 p.m. the next day, this would be February 20th, Angie called Darren at work to say all of Becky's friends were at the house and they were worried about not having heard from her. When he tried calling Becky's phone, it was off. Back at the house, Darren and Becky's friends searched her room for clues and there were a few things that stood out. I think it's time to call the police. Becky's laptop and her phone were missing, but her purse and makeup were still there. 
Becky usually didn't go a day without applying her makeup, so to them, there was no way she ran away or left on purpose, leaving it behind. Around 4 p.m., Darren and Angelie finally called the police, who promised to send someone over as soon as they could. Meanwhile, Darren asked Nathan for his help creating a Facebook post about his missing stepsister. For the next hour or so, they sat there together going through pictures of Becky, trying to choose the perfect ones. It wasn't until the following day that police finally arrived at Darren's home. They went around with a team collecting DNA samples from the home and looking for anything that immediately stood out to them. This is going not where I thought it was going. Where did you think? I'm guessing confused because I thought Nathan and Shauna or Nathan was the issue the whole time. And I thought something was going to happen with him and Becky. But Becky's gone and not at the house. And I don't think Nathan and Shauna did anything. Like, I don't think they dumped her anywhere. Like, I thought... I thought she was going to be dead in the room or something. But she's missing. But she's missing. So I'm a little more confused. That week, police also dispatched a search team combing the wooded areas of a nearby nature reserve, other neighbors' yards, even wading through the ponds at a local park. They questioned nearly everyone in a five-mile radius of the home, but no one reported seeing Becky. And she hadn't been spotted on any CCTV footage either. On February 27th, Angie and Darren were called down to the police station to answer a few questions, primarily related to their family dynamic. Police are like, okay, we've got to learn about this family. We've got to learn about Becky. Where could she possibly have gone? And most of the questions geared toward the relationship between Becky, Nathan, and Shauna. So parents start noticing that a lot of the questions surround the three kids or the daughter-in-law, the son, and the daughter. But Darren and Angie assured the police. While they bickered from time to time, they didn't really have that good of a relationship. There was no way that Nathan and Shauna would ever do anything to hurt Becky, which is why Darren and Angie kept making pleas to the public, asking for anyone with information about their daughter to please come forward. That would be hard because I think it would be hard to think that it could be another kid. Well, and it's also like, your sibling. What's the motive here? I mean, Shauna, this yeah. random girl who married into the family, also hates her? Yeah, something's not something's not aligned. What police hadn't told Darren and Angie was they already had a good reason to suspect that at least Nathan was involved in Becky's disappearance. Wait, Darren and Angie thought this? No, police hadn't oh. told Darren and Angie, okay. but they thought this. And it was because of one small fingerprint that he left on a tiny, almost unnoticeable splotch of blood on Becky's bedroom doorframe. Holy crap. All right, here we go. And if you remember, their mom left to a doctor's appointment and came home and Shauna and Nathan were home and Becky was then missing. So technically they would have been the last to see her, except they said they didn't see her. They only heard her leave. Remember? It just... It seems like a short period of time to do what they're accusing. I think they did exactly. Yeah. So on February 28th, officers arrested the 28 year old Nathan and 21 year old Shauna and began their interrogation. So imagine this they get arrested for his stepsister's disappearance. Yeah. What do the parents do at this point? I think at this point, which this is probably not what they did, but I think at this point you go, oh, we need to figure this out. Like yeah. when you talk to police, we need to tell them everything about Nathan. Obviously, I'm sure they didn't do that. I'm sure they instantly get defensive. But yeah, 
So police tell Nathan if he confessed and pointed them in the direction of Becky's body, they might be able to offer him some sort of deal. So obviously police Holy at this point crap, think yeah. Becky's so dead. They, they know what's going on. It didn't take much convincing for Nathan, which we love what? good police work. We love good police work. He confessed almost immediately to killing his stepsister, Becky, and told the officers exactly where they could find her body. What in the freak? Becky was in a garden shed at his friend, oh Carl my. Demetrius's house. Does Carl know? On March 2nd, police... <laughs> what? Does Carl know? Okay, I hope Carl doesn't know, because otherwise he's involved too. On March 2nd, police finally had their search warrant and were headed to the neighborhood of Barton Hill to confirm whether Nathan was telling the truth. Okay. When police opened the shed, they spotted it right away. A blue plastic bag buried under a pile of suitcases. They opened each piece of luggage one by one. Inside were plastic bags wrapped in cling film. Every package contained a different part of Becky's body. Holy, I am so, so mind blown that they were able to do all this. She had to have been at an eight-hour doctor's appointment. It's How just a is lot. this possible? That's insane. That's horrible. Horrible. It's one thing to kill your stepsister. It's another this, to chop up yes, and dismember no, her body. No, that's absolutely wild. So despite the conditions that Becky was found in, a pathologist was able to conclude a few other details about the way she had died. Apparently, she had been suffocated to death, but not before sustaining more than 40 injuries as she clearly fought for her life. Gosh. By March 4th, Nathan was charged with murder while Shauna who seemingly admitted to knowing about the crime but having nothing to do with it, was charged with preventing the course of justice. Of course, Darren and Angie were in shock. How could the child they raised be capable of something so twisted, so sadistic? And how did they overlook many of the signs? Oh, man. All I know is as soon as he was hanging out with 12 and 13-year-olds, right there I knew something was wrong. Well, the truth was... There was a lot Nathan Matthews was hiding from his parents. In the months leading up to Becky's death, Nathan's mental health seemed to be on a sharp decline. Aside from his poor hygiene, he'd been collecting trash and broken electronics, hoarding them in the new apartment he shared with Shauna and their baby, and said he planned to fix them all up and sell them. Only none of that ever came to fruition. And this wasn't even the worst of it. It seemed Nathan's obsession with underage girls was continuing. Mm. He'd even roped Shauna into participating in his twisted fantasies. Okay. Just two months before Becky's death, Nathan texted Shauna telling her to bring back two pretty schoolgirls after her errands. Shauna later responded to Nathan saying, quote, Just went into cost cutter and saw a pretty petite girl. Almost knocked her out to bring her home for you. LOL. XOXO. What is going on right now? Between these text messages, well, I do just want to preface here. She was 13 when they met, so there's probably some yeah. grooming oh, for sure. and, you know, going on. We're going zero to 100 real quick. Do you ever find that when you're traveling, you can't help but worry about what's going on back home? Like, again, did you remember to lock up everything or close all the windows? It's so easy for those little concerns to nag at you while you're trying to enjoy your trip. And that's why we highly recommend looking into Simply Safe Home Security today. It's all about giving you the top-notch security and total peace of mind, no matter where your summer adventures take you. It's like having that extra layer of protection so you can truly relax and enjoy your time away. 
You guys, I know that when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind. You know, it's not only for when you're home and you don't want someone breaking in, but like also when you're away from home and you just want to know that your house is safe. And that is what Simply Safe gives you. There's a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras we've installed. So we have a view of all our entry points. Plus, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System 2024 by the U.S. News and the World Report. Simply Safe has given us and many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're jumping into an ad right now and I no joke, I've had this question I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make Make you sick. I'm not saying that it 100% works for everybody because obviously you never know, but all I'm saying is I haven't been sick since I started taking it. Well, and the science behind it is so cool. Armor colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80% of your immune cells are housed. And it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season. Plus in clinical trials, bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu. We've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. Between these text messages and the pornography found on Nathan's computer, police wondered if the attack against his 16-year-old sister might have been due to his dark sexual fantasies. Yeah. Nathan, however, denied that sexual attraction had anything to do with her death. In fact, he claimed he only wanted to kidnap Becky to teach her a lesson because he thought she was selfish and he didn't like the way she treated his mother. Only things didn't go according to plan. So here's how Nathan claimed the entire day went down. Which I instantly don't believe is all bullcrap. I mean... It's hard. I feel like when the person who committed the crime confesses, there's always stuff left out. There's always little white lies because they want to make themselves look as good as possible in whatever they did. You're getting pretty good at this. I know. It's almost like I've been on a true crime podcast for the last three years. So Nathan said that on the morning of February 19th, he arrived at Darren and Angie's house ready to execute his kidnapping scheme. So he had already planned the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He even brought with him what he called his kidnapping kit, a bag consisting of a stun gun, handcuffs, duct tape, trash bags, and a mask. He and Shauna went inside, spending a bit of their time in there. Then when Shauna went to have a cigarette, he went out to the car to retrieve the bag. He went up to Becky's room, knocked on her door, and asked if he could speak with her for a moment. 
When Becky opened up, he claimed he was wearing a mask, which is strange considering she certainly would have known the voice of her stepbrother that she was raised with. But either way, he said he then used the items in the bag to try and subdue Becky. He placed the tape over her mouth and allegedly told her that as long as she did what he said, she would be fine. He even used the stun gun on his stepsister, but it really didn't seem to work because Becky did everything in her power to fight him, which was likely how she acquired all that bruising that they discovered during her autopsy and how her blood got on the doorframe. But in doing so, she also pulled Nathan's mask down, which said made him panic. So he placed the trash bag over her head and began strangling her until she stopped breathing altogether. Nathan then put Becky in a suitcase, grabbed her phone, laptop, and a few other items in her room, and placed all of it in the trunk of his car. Nathan wasn't sure what the next steps would be, but for the time being, he went back into the house, greeted his mother when she came home from her appointment, said hello to Darren when he came home from work, and the whole time, Becky was lying dead in the trunk of his car right outside of their home. I don't believe that he didn't know the next steps because of how they found the body like completely broken up into pieces. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like this had to have been planned. Like there's more to this for sure. That evening, Nathan and Shauna even went home, ordered takeout and played a game of Monopoly. Oh my gosh. Like there wasn't a dead body in their trunk and not just a dead body, but his stepsister's dead body. The following day, Nathan was caught on CCTV cameras buying bottles of drain cleaner, a circular power saw, gloves, face masks, and goggles. And when he got home, he used that saw to try and get rid of Becky's remains, which were being stored in the couple's bathtub. A few days later, Nathan called his friend, Carl Demetrius, and asked if he could keep a few things in his shed. In return, he'd pay him 10,000 pounds. On the afternoon of February 24th, Carl and their friend James Ireland helped Nathan move those garbage bags and suitcases into the garden shed. Do you think Carl knew what it was? No. Okay. Good job, And when Nathan told them not to look inside, they supposedly didn't ask any questions. They just accepted the money and kept their mouths shut, as told. Now, while Nathan was giving his account, he remained steadfast in the fact that Shauna had absolutely no idea what was going on downstairs this entire time. No, I don't believe it. She played no role in the murder. But there were several pieces of evidence that suggested this was definitely not the case. For starters, when they got home that evening, Shauna watched something on her computer that was a dead giveaway. A video titled, Do You Want to Hide a Body? It was a parody set to the tune of Frozen's Do You Want to Build a Snowman? It's... So many people, after they kill someone, they look up stuff like how to go, how to get away with murder. Yeah. What to do with a dead body. Yeah. It's even more weird that there's blogs and articles online about it. Yeah. That's kind of, that's insane. Plus, Shauna's DNA and makeup was found on one of the face masks in Carl's shed, which suggested she likely helped Nathan cut up and dispose of Becky's body. Okay. This evidence was enough to charge Shauna with a few more crimes, like murder, conspiracy to kidnap, and preventing a lawful burial, on top of the perverting the course of justice charge that she was already facing. But Shauna maintained her innocence, pleading not guilty on all charges. Nathan pleaded not guilty to murder and conspiracy to kidnap, but guilty to hiding and cutting up Becky's remains. Carl and his living girlfriend, Jadine, as well as James Ireland, all pleaded guilty to assisting an offender. However, they claimed they still had no idea what was in the suitcases. James was eventually acquitted, but Carl and Jadine served jail time for oh, their Oh, wow. Offense. Even though they didn't know? They claimed they didn't know. Oh. I, don't, I don't think they did. 
I don't know. I think they just kept their mouth shut and said, yeah, sure, store whatever. They probably knew it was yeah. something. I don't know if they knew it was a body. Okay. Nathan's trial was a bit more complicated, however, and it was revealed that there may have been more threats made against Becky than Darren or Angie were even aware of. Apparently, two years before her death, Becky told a friend that Nathan had provided intimate details about how he was going to kill her one day. And these conversations happened on multiple occasions leading up to her death. Becky's friend claimed that Becky was very obviously afraid of Nathan, but for some reason never felt comfortable saying anything to Darren or Angie. However, she did apparently say something to a social worker. Becky reported that she had serious conflicts with her older stepbrother and she felt scared about being in the home with him. Problem was, Becky's concerns were never taken seriously, mainly because of the history with her eating disorder and other issues she'd brought up to the attention of social workers. And since Nathan and Shauna had no violent criminal records, nobody ever considered they would actually be a threat to a 16-year-old girl until it was far too late. After a five-week-long trial, Nathan was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 33 years. Shauna Hoare, however, argued that she had been manipulated by Nathan and that he used both emotional and physical abuse to coerce her into the crime. She was acquitted of murder, but instead was found guilty of manslaughter, conspiracy to kidnap, and preventing a lawful mm. barrier. Okay. As a result, Shauna only received 17 years behind bars. Still a decent amount of time. That year, Darren and Angie didn't just lose one of their kids. They essentially lost three Aside from Becky, yeah. they'd lost the son they thought they'd raise to be a good man and a daughter-in-law, the mother of their grandchild. In a statement made to the press after the trials, Becky's family said this, We urge everyone who has teenagers to listen to your kids. Don't ignore or dismiss what they are trying to say. If they are feeling worried about something, take your time to listen to them. Above all, cherish them as time with them is precious and can be short. And that is the story of Becky Watts. What a psycho. Why why kill her? Zero. It's. It seems like I can't think of a reason at all. My like guess, one that makes sense, if that makes sense. All obviously, this is all speculation and alleged. My guess is is that growing up, Nathan began picking on Becky, and it was a way for him to use his power. As we know, he definitely likes younger girls. Younger girls. He, he, it probably likes the power it gives him, the manipulation it gives him. He's a pedophile. And so for him being able to exert this power over a little girl, it just turned into more sinister, more sinister. She obviously told people that she was uncomfortable, did not like being around him, did not feel safe around him. And as a parent, you know, they're now saying, listen to your kids, but also yeah. listen to Nathan, who was clearly suffering mentally. And so they even said his mental health was on a decline. So it's like, listen to your kids in all ways, you know. Yeah, no, it doesn't excuse it, though. Not at all. No. But I'm just saying maybe he, too, could have used some help, obviously. Yeah. It, either way, he's in, insane. Yeah. I mean, he killed his sister, and then Shauna was involved. Like, what a mess. It's so sad. It's also just crazy to me, like, sadistic. Oh, so that's what I'm saying. Like, he didn't just kill her. The way they chopped her body up is like that's next level it's a level that in their bathtub it that's why i don't feel bad that shauna went to jail um even though she probably was manipulated yeah. a little bit like sh they chopped the body up i don't care who you are i don't i, I mean yeah. there's just no excuses in my mind but my thoughts are like do you shower in that 
uh, shower after. I'm like thinking about that. Yeah. Like it's just, I just don't understand how I still don't understand how people can do these things. Yeah. Like how do you lay your stepsister's body in your shower and then shower in there after? Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. All right, you guys, that is our case for this week. And we will see you next time with another episode. A reminder that there is a bonus episode this week on Patreon and Apple subscriptions. All right. I love it. I hit it. Goodbye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.